Well, good morning, Bachelor Creek family. It is so good to be with you today. And if I'm just being totally honest, it's uh, exciting to be here on a day where not everybody has ballots in their hands. Um, so I, I feel uh, a little more comfortable today. Um, and uh, my family and I, we are so excited to uh, move up here and in a number of weeks and, and put our roots down here. And I'm excited today to continue this series in the book of 1 John titled The Good Life. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be there in just a moment. Have you ever noticed how much like your parents you really are? Now, I know some of you, just the thought of that causes you to cringe because you've told yourself and you've told others, whatever you do, don't let me become like my parents. Uh, for me, I grew up an IU fan and a Cubs fan because that's who my dad rooted for. Um, <laughs> okay, a few, a few cheers, yeah. Um, but, but, it, but it's more than just that. I've noticed that, that I repeat some of my dad's mannerisms too. I, I noticed not too long ago that when my dad's standing up having a conversation with somebody, he kind of bends his knees and rocks back and forth a little bit, and I've caught myself doing the same thing. But I also tend to talk like my dad. I was having a conversation with my wife not too long ago, and uh, it was the way that I reacted, the way that I responded to something that she said, the, the tone, the inflection in my voice, and she said this, you sound just like your dad. Has that ever happened to you? We shouldn't be surprised. When you spend most of your life, so much time in your life, watching, learning, imitating your father, it only makes sense that you would start to act like him too. And that's the picture that we see in 1 John 3 that I want us to explore together today. 1 John 3 begins with us considering what it means to be a child of God. What does it mean for God to be our Father? The essence of the Christian life is to know, enjoy, walk with, pray to, and worship God as Father. Right after John talks about that in the beginning of 1 John 3, he immediately starts talking about our love for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, look at verse 10. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now here's the big idea that I want us to grasp and understand today. Love in the family reflects the love of the father. In other words, when a father loves his children and those children experience that love and live in that love and, and, and enjoy that love, they will reflect that love toward one another. I recently officiated a wedding and the grandfather of the bride walked her down the aisle. And in the course of doing premarital counseling with them, I learned that her father had passed away years earlier. But I was struck at how close she was with her mom and with her uh, sister and her aunts and uncles and grandparents. And so on the day of her wedding, I went to the side and I told her and reminded her that even though her dad wasn't physically there, his love for her was evident in the love her family shared with one another. And in a sense, this is the picture of the church. People can't see God the Father physically here but they can see his love on display in his family. And this is the church that we want to be. First of all, I pray that we would be a church captivated by God's love for us. We want to be a people so overwhelmed with God's love for us in a 1 John 3, 1 kind of way 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. You know, I, I look around this room right now, and, and I see some pretty different people. Now, some of you may be thinking, come on, this is Wabash, Indiana. This isn't New York City. Like, how different can we be? But, but just consider this. We come from different backgrounds. We, we live in different parts of the county. Some people live out in the country. Some people live in town. We have different interests. We root for different teams. We have different personalities. We have different problems. We're different ages and stages of life. But there is one thing that brings us together each Sunday. We are children of God. We are loved by God as his sons and daughters. And this is why we can never look to any of those other things to bring us together. What brings us together is the fact that we are children of God. His love unites us so that we would be captivated by God's love for us. And as a result of this, I pray that we would be a people compelled by God's love for others. 1 John 3, 1 through 10, it talks about us being children of God, captivated by the love of God. That's the first part. But I really want to focus our attention today on verses 11 through 24 in this theme of love for others. So I want to begin reading in 1 John 3, 11. It says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Did you catch that? Love in the family, love for one another, is intended to reflect the love of the Father. Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35, we read this at the beginning of our service today, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how people will know that you and I are followers of Jesus. It's not because you say you're a Christian. It's not because you go to church. They will know you're a child of God by the love you have for one another. And, and, and this, this is John. This is why John, that the same disciple who recorded Jesus saying these words, is now writing them to the church. 
And he's saying, if you don't love this way, then there's reason to question whether or not you're even a child of God. And that's because love in the family reflects the love of the Father. And so specifically, as Bachelor Creek Church spread out across Wabash County, God has designed us to be known by our love for each other. That is what we need to be known for. People will know we are followers of Jesus and children of God the Father when we are laying down our lives and love for others. We should not just be known for our preaching and teaching, as important as that is, but that's not what Jesus says in John 13. He said, they will know you're my followers when you are loving others the same way that I have loved you. Okay, so what's this mean? How do we love like this? John answers this by pointing us to a contrast we need to see between hate and love. It starts in verse 12, it goes all the way to verse 18. Now there's a lot of confusion in our world about what love is and what hate is, so let's look at the Bible and how God defines them. To begin, hate originates with the devil. John goes all the way back to Genesis chapter four where Cain murdered his brother Abel. And the Bible tells us that Cain was of the evil one. So this is a reference to Satan, to the devil, who was the originator of sin in Genesis 3. 1 John 3, 8 says that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. John 8, says that he was a murderer from the beginning. So the devil is the origin of hate, and the Bible basically defines hate as selfishly seeking another's harm. Why did Cain murder his brother according to verse 12? Because Cain was evil and his brother was righteous. His self-centered jealousy led him to harm his brother. And the ultimate example of hatred, the desire to harm someone else, is Cain taking the life of another. Now, a person's life is their most precious possession. And so to take it from them, that is the greatest sin that we can commit against them. But you remember what Jesus taught back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 and 22? He said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So hatred is not just an outward action like murder. It's an inward attitude of anger towards another person. And the Bible calls every one of us to examine our hearts and to ask, is there evidence of anger in us towards others at home in our workplace in our community around the world when we think about certain groups of people do we have a hatred that is opposite of love for others and the Bible calls us to repent of that now don't miss the everyday effect of hatred go to verse 17 John writes, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The everyday effect of hatred is indifference that leads to inaction. Put, put this together. We may not murder someone, we may not even be angry towards someone, but if we see another person in need and we are able to meet that need and we choose to close our hearts against that person, that's not the effect of God's love. That is the effect of hate. 
It's not just seeking another person's harm, but it's being content to do nothing about that person's harm. The Bible says that that is not from God the Father. It's actually evidence of spiritual death. It's evidence of a lack of God's love in the heart, which is why John says back in verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, the way that John uses the term world is a picture of a system that is set up against God, his ways, and his word. He says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And we see all kinds of evidence of hate and hurt in the world around us. I read an article recently about the rise of hate groups in our country, especially in recent years and particularly along racial lines. And the Bible says, don't be surprised, because absent the love of God the Father, hate is the result. But, John says, not so with you. Not so with the church. The church should be different. So see the contrast between hate and love. The Bible says that love originates with God. 1 John 3.16, which Michael read to us in his communion meditation, it tells us that we know love because of God. Next week, we'll get into 1 John 4, verse 7, which says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. God is the author, the originator, the creator of love. Love emanates from him. So what is love? Instead of self, selfishly seeking another's harm, love selflessly seeks another's good. And the key word here is selflessly. Because we'll often seek someone else's good if we know that we're gonna receive good in return. That's how the world loves. But how do we love in a way that is totally selfless? In a way that doesn't, that doesn't seek anything in return for ourselves? I think of Jacob DeShazer. He was in a Japanese POW camp in World War II. He was in that camp for five years. After the war, he came to faith in Christ, and he went back to Japan to serve as a missionary for the rest of his life. He even reached out to, to, the, to the prison guard who tortured him. That, that is Christ-like, Christian, selfless love. It's not that someone did something to deserve this kind of love. We don't ask who deserved it. We just show love. And it's exemplified in the ultimate example, not of Cain, but of Christ, who gave his life and sacrificed his life for others. We know what love is because of Jesus. He laid down his life for us. Do you remember how we said earlier that a person's life is their most greatest possession? And the greatest harm you can do is to, to take that greatest possession, to take that life away from them. So what is the greatest good you could do for someone else? It's to give your life for them. And this is what Jesus has done. I know some of you may be here today because you're visiting with family, you're visiting with friends, you're, you're here just kind of exploring what Christianity is all about. You're working through what you believe and what that means for your life. And I just want you to know we are glad that you are here today. You are always welcome here. And I want you to hear in 1 John 3, 16, the very essence of Christianity. This is how we know what love is. The Bible tells us that, that every single one of us have sinned. We've turned away from God's ways and we've turned to our own ways. And as a result of that, we are separated from God. 
And, and as a result of that separation, we deserve judgment from God because God is holy and God is good and God is just. And the penalty for sin is death. But God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, his sinless son, to live a perfect life on this earth and to give his life up for us as payment for our sin. That's what the cross is all about. And three days later, God rose Jesus from the dead. He conquered sin and death so that anyone, including you, who desires to be forgiven, can put your faith in Jesus and have your life changed for all of eternity. Your sins wiped clean. You can have eternal life with God today by putting your faith in Jesus and accepting the free gift that he has offered you. You're asking, well, well don't I have to do something? Do, do I need to sign up and take a class or something like that? No, no, no. It's all been done for you. Human religion is built around what we can do for God, but the whole point of the gospel is that God has done this for us out of his great love for us. And you can know what love is because Jesus Christ has laid down his life for you. And we invite you to receive that love today. Then how does that love play out in our everyday lives? Well, instead of indifference and hate that leads to inaction, the effect of love is compassion that leads to action. It's the opposite of hate. Instead of closing your hearts to someone and doing nothing about their needs, you open up your heart to those in needs and you do something about it. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. So we don't just talk about it, we do this. And verse 16 says this is what we ought to do. Followers of Jesus should have compassion in our hearts when we see others in needs that leads us to act on behalf of those in need. And when we do this, that is evidence that we possess spiritual life. Once more, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Notice that it doesn't say if you love others, you will earn eternal life. It actually says if you love others, it shows that you have eternal life. That's a huge difference there. Love does not earn eternal life. Love for others is evidence that you have eternal life. So now we move from the contrast that we see between love and hate to the confidence we have as children of God. Verses 19 through 24 teach us three primary things. Number one, God enables us as his children to love as he loves. Verse 19 says, this is how we know we belong to the truth. Verse 20 says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. You ask, well, what, what does this mean? Well, there's actually a lot of debate among biblical scholars about what these verses mean. And after studying these verses for a considerable amount of time this week, let me try to explain to you what's going on here. We don't naturally have hearts that are inclined to love selflessly like we see here. We are quick to hate, we're quick to anger, we're quick to judge, we're quick to indifference, we're quick to turn away, we're, we're quick to, to look to ourselves, and that's part of having a, a sinful heart in a fallen world, where we view everything through the lens of how does this affect me. But 1 John 3 is teaching us that God is greater than our hearts. God our Father has given us as his children new hearts, hearts that are now inclined to love like he loves. 
which means that when our hearts are prone to hatred or anger or indifference, God gives us supernatural power as his children to love instead, to feel the compassion he feels, to lay down our lives for others in need. And this happens in a way that is not natural to us. It's supernatural. It's God enabling us as his children to love as he loves. And I just want you to know I see this all over this church. In fact, let me just share with you the thing that that stood out to me above and beyond everything else as we went through this interview process, as, as we talked with, with all the folks here at Bachelor Creek and, and, and we got to know people better and, and when we came here on February and we just got to walk around to the different ministry areas, the thing that stood out to me and my wife above and beyond everything else was the way that this church loves people like God does. We walked into the, the elementary area, into Upstreet, and we just got to see this, this, this team and this group of adult volunteers just love on these kids and to engage them in small groups and lead them in worship and teach them and do it with, with what can only be described as love. And we walked in the middle school area and we saw Nate and his team keep an entire room of middle schoolers completely captive. That's not easy to do. And then we walked upstairs and we saw David and his team of volunteers just be real with our students and help them navigate through some, some really tough things in life through the lens of the Bible. And when we saw them create this safe space where, where students can ask questions and learn and, and, and just be loved on. And it extends beyond the, the walls of this church into the community. The, the work that, that Jana and those involved in Kids Hope, all those volunteers, I'm telling you, that ministry is changing kids, it's changing families, it's changing lives. It's changing schools. The work that, that, that's being done in the community and the, the outreach that, that, that Ryan and others are, are coordinating to, to do work days at the Ark and just tell our community, we love you. I think of the Made Known Garden and the Made Known event next weekend that's coming up. And what, what an incredible ministry. What, what an incredible way to, to tell to some people who have gone through deep loss and deep grief, people who have often held on to this burden in a very private way, and it's our way of a church saying, God sees, God knows, God cares, God loves, and we love you too. And my point is this. Be encouraged and be challenged. Because we need to be honest here. We are not prone to love like this in so many different ways. There are some of us who, who we would be glad to serve in the community, and we would be glad to serve in the church on Sunday, but when we're at home and nobody else is watching, for some of us there's, there's an anger with our spouse or with our kids or with, a, with our parents. We would never treat someone at church the way that we treat our own family. And then on the other hand, for some of us, we are so focused on caring for our own family and our own kids that we aren't willing to serve others' kids on Sundays. We, we can even get so focused on, on how we can help those who are right around us that we become indifferent to the needs beyond the little circles where we live. And so every single one of us, we need to examine our own hearts and we need to ask, how am I not showing sacrificial love to others? We need to say, God, you are greater than my heart. I need more of your heart and my heart. Please change my heart. 
Our Father is pleased with that kind of praying. Don't just feel beat down thinking how great our sin is. He is so much greater, and we can ask him to change us. We need to pray this individually, in our families, and as a church family. Let us ask God to enable us as his children to love as he loves, with supernatural love in ways that aren't normal to us. Verses 21 and 22 says, Dear friends, this is those who are loved by God and have his love in their hearts. If our hearts do not condemn us, that is, if God's heart is overcoming our hearts, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. You've you got to follow this. As God enables us to, as his children to love as he loves, then we will more and more and more live for what pleases him. And that totally transform our prayer lives. That's what this verse is talking about. So God enables us as his children to love as he loves. Then secondly, he also emboldens us as his children to pray for his purposes. If we love like the father loves, then we will desire what our father desires. Verse 22 says that we will do what pleases him. And when we desire what God desires, then we can ask for whatever we desire and we know we'll receive it. This is the key to prayer. Now many people, they hear verse 22, which says, we receive from him anything that we ask, and we immediately think, well, I've prayed for things that I haven't received. Is this verse some sort of blanket promise? Does this mean that anything that I ask God for, I'm gonna receive? And the obvious answer to that is no. Just as with any passage that we read, we need to understand this verse in light of its context. This verse is saying the key to prayer is God's heart overtaking your heart as his child in such a way that you love as he loves. You desire what he desires and you live to please him. And that then transforms the way that you pray because now you pray for what you know pleases him. So you pray, God, I, I know that you are pleased when your name is glorified, so God, please glorify your life in this situation. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can know that God is pleased with this kind of prayer. We can know that he will do it. And when we pray this way, we can know that God will answer. God, I know that you are pleased to show strength and weakness, and right now I'm feeling pretty weak in this situation, so God, would you please show your strength through my weakness? God will answer that prayer. God, I know that you delight in, in showing wisdom, and I'm in a situation right now where I need your wisdom, so I'm asking for it, and I know that you will give it. That is confidence in prayer. But sometimes we pray when we don't know what God's will is. We might pray for uh, us to get into this school. We might pray to get accepted uh, and, and get a job. We, we may ask God to heal us of a disease or any number of other things that are on our hearts. And, and it's not wrong to pray for those things. In fact, it's good and right and appropriate to pray for these things. It's like children asking something from their dad. But we ask for those things with a heart that trusts our dad and desires whatever he desires. And so you pray, God, I, I pray that I might get accepted to the school. At the same time, I am trusting that you are my father, and if you know that it would be best for me not to go to that school, then I trust you with that. I want to follow you wherever you want me to be, not where I want to be. 
I desire what you desire, and I know that you know what's best for me. God, I am praying, I am pleading, and I am asking that I will be healed of this disease. I'm praying that, that you will heal my, my, my parents or my spouse or my child or, 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 my, or my parents of this disease. Yet as I'm asking that, I am trusting that as my father, you are a good father who always knows what's best. And I want you to be glorified more than anything else. So if you will receive greater glory by sustaining and strengthening and satisfying me or him or her through this disease, then that's what I want. I want what you want. God emboldens us as his children to pray for his purposes because we're driven by what is most pleasing to him and we're driven with a trust in him. We know that we are the child here and he is the father. We are imperfect children. He is a perfect father, which means that we can trust him completely far more than we can trust ourselves. And when you realize that you are a child of God, it totally transforms how you pray and the confidence you have when you pray. Now follow this progression. As his children, God enables us to love as he loves. Then he emboldens us to pray for his purposes. Finally, God empowers us as his children to live by his spirit. At the end of this passage in verses 23 and 24, we read a beautiful summary of the Christian life, which is a supernatural life. In verse 23, John describes a basic twofold commandment. First, we must believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That means we must trust in Jesus as the Savior of our sins and as the Lord of our life. And second, we are to love one another. These two go together. When you believe in Jesus, you will love one another. Both of these are only possible because of the supernatural work of God's Spirit in us. John says at the end of verse 24, we know it by the Spirit he gave us. Just think about it. How does someone come to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ? The Spirit does that work. God's Spirit opens our eyes to believe in Jesus. Every Christian in this room has the same basic testimony. We wandered away from God, we did our own thing, when one day God opened our eyes to his great love for us, and he drew us to himself in a supernatural way by his Spirit. And I've been praying, and I believe that God is doing a supernatural work in this place. Some of you who are here visiting, you're checking out, you're exploring things on your own, I want you to know today, you are not here by accident. God has you here today so that you can hear about his great love for you. God, right now, his spirit is drawing you to himself, and I invite you to say yes to God's love for you, to receive his love by the power of his spirit. Let him supernaturally change your heart, forgive your sin, and bring you into eternal life with God. That, that is supernatural activity that I pray is happening, that the spirit of God is doing. Because it is God's spirit that draws us to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. It is God's spirit that draws us to love one another. The Christian life is a supernatural life that is characterized by a supernatural love. It's not a natural love. It's not a love that we can produce on our own. Only God produces it in us. And we want our lives to be marked by supernatural love for others. John 13, 
34 and 35, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled and incredibly grateful for the great love that you have for us. God, I pray that as we receive your love and experience your love, that we would be drawn to extend that love to others. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone who's watching online who has never experienced that love, who is not in a saving relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would call on the name that is above every other name and they would say, Jesus, I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow after you all the days of my life. I want to be obedient to you. I want to identify with your death, burial, and resurrection through the waters of baptism. I want to be raised to newness of life and have my life changed for all of eternity. And that I too will leave this place full of the love of God so that I can love others the same way that you have loved us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.